First John chapter five, verse 19 has this very startling statement. The whole world is under the control of the evil one. You hear that? Now that's not my statement. This is God's statement. The whole world is under the control of the evil one. Think about that for a moment. The whole world, governments, educational systems, neighborhood associations, businesses, retirement communities, sports teams, and not just the Yankees either. <laughs> the whole world, God says, is under the control of the evil one. The more you think about that statement, the more frightening it becomes. How many of you here this morning are a parent or a grandparent who have uh, this week or next week or recently sent a child back to college? How many of you here are in that situation? Is that not a frightening statement? How many of you here are parents or grandparents who will be sending a child back to high school or middle school or elementary school in the next week or two? How many of you are in that situation? Is that not a frightening statement? The whole world is under the control of the evil one. How many of you here are students who will be returning or have returned to college or high school or middle school or elementary school? How many of you are here in that situation? Think about it. The whole world is under the control of the evil one. How many of you here lead a small group or are involved in a ministry where you're discipling another Christian or where you're involved with teaching or helping other Christians grow in their faith? How many of you here are in that position? Does this statement not frighten you? <laughs> that as they go out into this world, the whole world, the whole world, is under the control of the evil one. Worse than that, the Bible tells us that the evil one, who is in control of the whole world, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for anybody that he can destroy. That Jesus tells us the world hates followers of Christ. That not only is the whole world under the control of the evil one, but the world is against us. That if you name the name of Jesus, if you want to identify yourself with Jesus, the evil one wants nothing more than to destroy you. And here we read that not only does he want to destroy us, but the whole world is under his control. What are we supposed to do in the face of that kind of frightening news? As we think about sending kids back to school, as we think about going back into that ourselves, what are we supposed to do in the midst of that kind of frightening situation? Well, I'd like to suggest that we do the same thing that Jesus did. Faced with this exact same truth, this is not new stuff. This was true at the time of Jesus as well. I'd like to suggest that we do the same thing that he did. And what it is that he did, he prayed. He prayed for protection. 
for protection for those that he loved. If you have your Bible, would you turn to the book of John chapter 17. John chapter 17, it's page 766 in the Bibles the church provides. John chapter 17. John chapter 17 makes up part of what we call the upper room discourse or the farewell discourse. Remember, this is Thursday night of Holy Week. The next day, Jesus will give his life on a cross. This is his last time with his disciples. And if you can imagine, if this was your last night tonight with a college student heading back to college or a child who's moving to another city or somebody from your small group who is going to be moving away, how would you spend the last time that you had with them? Well, you probably would go back over some of the most important things that you had tried to teach them during your time with them. And then you'd pray for them. Isn't that what we would do? Well, that's what Jesus is doing. He's leaving them tomorrow. And he understands that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. And that is a dangerous situation. And so what he does, chapters 14 to 16, he goes back over with them. Some of the most important teaching that he gave them. And then in chapter 17, he prays for them. And not only for them, but for us also. So we want to look at Jesus's prayer because in his prayer for his disciples, for us, we see in it the key to experiencing protection in the midst of a world that is under the control of the evil one. Listen as I read verses six through 19. John chapter 17, verses six through 19. Jesus is praying to God the Father, and Jesus says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in this world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. 
As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. This is Jesus' prayer. In the back of his mind has got to be the idea that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. He's about to leave his disciples. And this is what he prays to the Father for them. Now Jesus says many things in these verses. Most of them have to do with his conversation that he's having with God the Father. In fact, there are only two actual requests that he makes in his prayer. Two things that he actually asks for. Says lots of stuff, but there's only two things he actually asks. The first one is found in verse 11 and in verse 15. Verse 11, I remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, and here's his first request, protect them by the power of your name. Same thing in verse 15. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. That's Jesus' first request, that as he prays to the Father, he realizes that his disciples are in a dangerous situation, that they are a part of the world that is under the control of the evil one, and the evil one hates them and wants to destroy them. Not only them, but also us. And so Jesus prays for protection. He prays that God would protect his disciples. Now what's almost as interesting as what he prays for is what he does not pray for. Notice in verse 15 what Jesus is not praying for. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. He's not praying for that. You see, that's our first inclination when we hear that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Our first inclination is to withdraw. Well, let's create our own little world where Jesus is Lord. And let's have our own schools and let's have our own churches and let's have our own businesses. And maybe we could move out to a cottage where we're surrounded only by Christians. Or maybe we could move out to the middle of nowhere where we're surrounded by nobody. And it's just our family and we can withdraw from the world. That's our first inclination. If the whole world's under the control of the evil one, let's get out of here. Let's create a different world, a new world, a safe world. But Jesus is not for that. He's not for that because A, it's not possible. It's not possible. You see, the world is not just out there. The world is in here. It's in our churches. It's in our families. It's in our schools. It's here. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3. Brothers, I could not address you as spirit brothers and sisters. So he's talking to Christians. I can't address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not of the world? Are you not acting like mere men? Here in the middle of a church, this is the church in Corinth. And Paul planted the church. He knows that these people are believers. But yet you can find the, middle, the world in the middle of that church. 
And not only that church, but every church since. Is there jealousy and quarreling in our church? Yes, there is. Is there jealousy and quarreling in the Christian school your kids go to? Yes, there is. Is there jealousy and quarreling in your own family? Yes, there is. The world can be found all these places. What about what Jesus says in Matthew 16? When he begins to tell his disciples that he's going to die on a cross, Peter turns to him and says, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And what's Jesus' reply? Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, who? Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. See, the evil one's not just out there. Here in the midst of Jesus' 12 disciples, his friend Peter, the one who he is going to build his ministry upon after he leaves, this rock. Jesus calls him Satan because he's under the control at this moment of the evil one. And the evil one is seeking to cause Jesus to stumble through his friend. See, there is no way to escape the world. The world comes to us every moment of every day through our cell phones, comes to us through our televisions, comes through us through our conversations with our friends and our neighborhoods. The world is in our churches, it's in our schools, it's in our families. There's no escape from the world. So Jesus says, you can't withdraw, it's not possible. But B, the other reason why withdrawal is not a good strategy is because Jesus says, verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Jesus is not for the withdrawal strategy because he sent us. We're in the world because he wants us here. If the goal was to escape from the world, well, when you became a believer, you would simply go to heaven. That would be the point. If the goal was to try to create mini heaven here on earth and get away from the world, well, why not just have real heaven? But Jesus says that's not the goal. The goal is I sent you into the world. You see, God's got this funny relationship with the world. Even though the whole world is under the control of the evil one, and even though the world is a dangerous place, God loves it. God loves the whole world. God is not willing that any should perish. He knows that there are people in the world under the control of the evil one who need to be rescued, Amen. who need to be set free. Yep. And so Jesus says withdrawal is not an option because in the world are those who must be rescued. And Jesus says, I'm sending you in to go rescue them. So what Jesus prays is not that we would withdraw. What he does pray is that we would be protected. That in the midst of the world, whether the world shows up in our churches, in our families, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our businesses, wherever it might be, not that we would withdraw, but that we would be protected. Now, how are we protected in the midst of the world? Well, that gets to the second request that Jesus makes of the Father. The first is that we be protected the second explains how we are protected. And his second request is in verse 17. 
Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus says how we are protected in this world that's under the control of the evil one. He says sanctify them by the truth. Now the word sanctify is an important word. It's kind of a strange word, we don't use it very much. It means set apart. But in this context, it really means set apart for the purpose of being protected. To understand better what it means, imagine for a moment that you're a firefighter and that you have been sent to a house call because uh, there is a house on fire and you arrive at that fire and your captain who's there tells you there's a family inside and that you're going in to get them. Well, at this point, withdrawal is not an option because there are people who need to be rescued and you've been sent. So turning and running the other directions, not an option. But as you get ready to enter this house, which is filled with dangerous smoke, the captain reminds you, put on your mask. Because when you go into this smoke-filled environment, there's no way to avoid the smoke. It's there. But the mask sets you apart. It differentiates you. The only thing that makes you different from those who are in the smoke-filled room who are unconscious because of the smoke is because you have a mask. It's allowing you to filter out the things that are dangerous that are there. That's the idea of sanctify. Jesus says, I want to set you apart. I don't want to just pull you out. I want to send you in, but I want you to be different from the people who are in there. And what makes us different is, is that we're wearing a gas mask. So the question is, is what's the mask? Jesus says, it's truth. And specifically, your word is truth. Your word. Jesus remembers praying to God the Father. He's saying the word of God, God's word. That's the mask that sanctifies us, that sets us apart, so that when we go into the smoke-filled building, what differentiates us from the people who are unconscious is not the fact that we're not in the building, we are there. What differentiates us is that we have a mask over our face that is protecting us. And what is that mask? It is the Word of God. Now what does John mean when he says, or what does Jesus mean when he says the Word of God? Well, in John, that language can refer to two different things. The first thing is it can refer to Jesus himself. In John chapter 1, Jesus is called the Word of God. In John 14, Jesus says of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If the mask that protects us is the truth, well, who is the truth? It's Jesus. And what Jesus is saying in verse 19 of our passage, for them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Jesus is referring here to the fact that the next day, on Good Friday, he's going to go and give his life on the cross. And that the purpose of doing that is, is that you and I, were in the house dying from the flames and the smoke and that Christ was sent in to rescue us and that through his death, 
That even though we were unconscious and there was nothing that we could do to rescue ourselves, that through his death and his resurrection, Christ has come to pull us out, to give us new life. And that when we by faith accept what Christ has done for us, he comes to dwell within us through his spirit who guides us in all truth. How are we protected when the whole world is under the control of the evil one? Jesus says it's when we, by faith, accept him. And that's why John says of believers, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. How are we protected? Well, we have Christ in us if we are believers in him. That for that student that's going off to college, yes, the college doesn't matter if it's a Christian college, it's the whole world is under control of the evil one. But if you take Christ with you, well, then greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You have protection with you no matter where you go or what you do. And so Jesus is praying first and foremost that we would have him dwelling in our hearts so that no matter where we go and experience the world, whether it's in our church or in our family or in our school or in our city or wherever it might be, that we would always have with us one who is greater than the world's power that we will experience. Now there's more to it than that. It's not simply enough to be a Christian. You don't wanna simply pray with your 10 year old and say, have you accepted Christ? And off to school you go, have Adam. That's not all it works. Because there is a second thing that is identified as the word of God. Not just Jesus himself, but also the words that he spoke. The words that have been recorded for us, what we know as the Bible. This is the word of God. This is what is designed to protect us. The word of God is the mask that filters out the ever-present smoke of worldliness. That God's word, written down for us, is our protection. That as his word is in our hearts and in our minds, the world has no power over us. The evil one cannot destroy us. Now, I want to be honest with you. I don't want to be mean. I don't want to be uh, inappropriate, but I want to encourage you about something. We started the sermon by talking about students going back to school about kids going off to college, about people that we've been discipling or working with moving away. I want to be honest that when I think about students today, when I look at kids who are in school, what I see is kids who are incredibly talented when it comes to music, for example. That they practice more than I ever practiced. That they're more accomplished that they are better equipped when it comes to singing or to music. The same is true for sports. They're more involved in sports camps and in playing in different leagues and involved in everything under the sun. In fact, The Atlantic had an article just this week called Music's Virtuoso Glut. That basically there is a young generation of musicians who have practiced so many hours that they are all incredibly talented. The article began with this quote. The overall level of technical proficiency in instrumental playing 
especially on the piano, has increased steadily over time. Many piano teachers, critics, and commentators have noted the phenomenon, which is not unlike what happens in sports. The four-minute mile seemed an impossibility until Roger Bannister made the breakthrough in 1954. Since then, runners have knocked nearly 17 seconds off Bannister's time. The article goes on to say it's not just music or sports, it's actually happening in the chess world. That there are so many little grandmasters of chess. It's happening when you look around in academics that students today have more opportunities and they take advanced courses and they go to math camp and they have extra tutoring and they have all sorts of things, service projects that they can get involved in. When you look at the generation today, it's the most entertained generation ever. They've watched more movies, played more video games, mastered more video games, learned more new technologies that when you look around, it's mind boggling to see this. But there's a problem. The problem is there is still only 24 hours in a day. That's not changed. So all this other stuff has to push something out of the schedule. And one of the things that really gets pushed out of the schedule is the Word of God. Children seem to be spending less time memorizing it, less time reading it, less time discussing it less time engaging about it. And look, let's be honest. What's true for them is also true for us. That all this busyness, all this other stuff that's making us better musically, better athletically, better academically, better socially, better entertained, better whatever, is squeezing out the one thing that will protect us from the evil one. See, there's no substitute for the word of God. Worship music, fantastic, but it's not the word of God. Conversations with Christian friends, very helpful, but it's not the word of God. Being engaged in a Christian school, fantastic, but not the word of God. You see, Jesus isn't praying for those other things because he knows there's one thing, one thing that will actually protect us. When the fireman goes into the house, yeah, he's got an ax, yeah, he's got a flashlight, those are important, it's part of his job, but the single greatest danger that he faces is smoke inhalation. And there's only one thing that stops it, and it's not the ax, and it's not the flashlight, it's the mask. And without the mask, he's dead. What's he gonna do? If you can't breathe, you can't function. And so Jesus is praying for one thing. The word of God is the only thing that will protect. Those other things are important and they're part of the whole mission. We're not just about being protected, we are about rescuing and you do need the ax and you do need the flashlight. But if you're thinking about protection from a world that is under the control of the evil one, Jesus says there's one thing and it's the word of God dwelling in your heart through Christ and in our minds and in our lives through his words. See, because when you go out in this world, whether you're sitting right here in the pew experiencing the world or in your family or in your school or wherever it may be, and the world tells you you're no good, you won't amount to anything, you're just a failed loser who keeps messing up over and over again, 
It's the word of God that says to you, but Christ has accepted you. You are righteous in his life, that God sees you as being beautiful, that he sent his son to die for you. It's the word of God that counteracts that lie. When in the world we hear the world say to us, it's hopeless. The country is spinning downhill. The world is getting out of control. It's the word of God that says, God is still seated on his throne. The nations may rage and they may be angry, but God is the one who determines what happens. There is hope. Christ will return and make all things right. When the world tells us that we ought to fight fire with fire, when someone attacks us, we should attack them back. It's the word of God that says, no, love your enemies. Do that way. When the world tells us that we ought to be afraid, it's God's word that comes and says, don't be afraid. I'm with you wherever you go. Don't be discouraged. Don't be terrified. When the world tells us that we ought to enjoy life, eat, drink, and be merry. What else is there in life? It's the word of God that says, there's a way that seems right to a person, but the end of that way is death. You're going to die. Don't go that path. When the world tells us that our sins and our evil are just too much, it's the word of God that says, but Christ has died for us. See, Jesus knows there's only one protection. That's why when he prays on the last night he's with his disciples. He asks for two things. Father, protect them. And he knows the way that we are protected in the world that is controlled by the evil one is for our minds and hearts to be filled with the word of God, to have memorized it, to read it, to discuss it, to live it, to engage with it. And you know what Jesus prayed in John 17 is not something that he simply prayed 2,000 years ago. This is his prayer this morning. This is what he's in heaven praying right now. If you wanna know what the son is asking the father, he looks down and sees every one of us here. And he knows we're in the same danger that his disciples were in. While he was present with his disciples, he protected them. Now that he's gone away, it is the word of God that protects us. And so this morning, he's praying for you, and he's praying for me. He knows that in our lives, we've let everything else crowd in. We got lots of axes and lots of flashlights, but we left our mask at home. And Jesus this morning is praying that we realize this. Let's join him in prayer. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we want to pray as he is praying. Lord, we acknowledge that the world in which we live is a dangerous place, and it's not just the world out there. The smoke is everywhere, and it's all under the control of the evil one. Jesus, there are some here today who have not accepted you as savior. There is no one in them who is greater than the one in the world. I pray right now that you would speak to their hearts and minds and help them to realize that they are lying in that burning house and that you have come to rescue them on the cross. 
would they hear and respond, Lord, do that for your glory. And for those of us here who are believers, but have left our mask at home, we've given very little time and attention to your word. We read books about your word. We talk about your word. We go to school where your word is acknowledged, but none of that is a replacement for time in your word. So Jesus, I pray that you would help us to put this into practice in such a way that we might be protected from the world that is around us so that as we participate in the rescue operation you have sent us to do, we might not be casualties, but might be able to celebrate together with those who are being saved of your goodness and your grace. Continue to pray for us, Jesus, we need it. In your name we ask, amen.